Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Postalka, and I am excited today because I am talking to Malcolm Peace from Tessera Partners. I believe, yeah, Tessera Partners. I got the first part right, and I got so excited. Growth Partners, Tessera Growth Partners. And and uh, we're going to be talking today about buying and building blue-collar businesses. Welcome, Malcolm. Hey, Damon, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun because, you know, these are my kind of businesses to talk about, man. These are the people that are out there making things happen every day, you know, keeping us being able to do what we want to do, the, you know, driving on the streets, turning on the lights, and the lights actually turn oh, on, you know, whatever. It's, it's all good stuff. So I was, uh, you know, so funny. I was in Cleveland a couple months back. And I went to work out at Cleveland State's uh, workout facility early in the morning. And before anybody else was there, there was guys working and building lockers and doing stuff all in there, all with their power tools. And I was like, I took a little snapshot like this is this is it. This is lovely. I mean, I, I get excited about it, seeing it. So this is great. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, when you see when you see and you just realize even like you said, even in a, a, a gym down the street from you, there are maintenance people working on that thing. There are people keeping the HVAC going. There's people that are rebuilding the insides of them when they need to be rebuilt. There's so many things that are happening around us. We don't even realize That's right. outside of our homes, man. Yep. So good stuff. So let's talk a little bit, Malcolm, about your background and how you really, you know, how you decided to do at Sarah Partners and do what you're doing and and just this how you got into this. Yeah, I would great question. I would say we're kind of in the walking phase right now. You know, we're we're ramping up. I've got some you know fun things that we're rolling out for 2024. I think we'll get into the running phase kind of after that. Um, but candidly, it was an evolutionary process of where do I fit into the ecosystem of small business and kind of scaling businesses and that nature. So I started doing private equity stuff coming out of my MBA program um, many years back and uh, started doing cybersecurity and defense contracting type companies. And I'll never forget sitting in Las Vegas during a convention and realize I am a total fish out of water. What am I doing here? This doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, this is like early, you know, Web 3.0, yeah. cryptocurrency, all this kind of stuff was on the rise. And I'm like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about, nor did I really have a genuine interest. I mean, I, I liked the deal structure. I liked putting deals together. I liked evaluating business fundamentals. I liked all that. But like the pure essence of kind of, you know, all that was going on in that convention. I was like, yeah, I'm totally out of this. And and so all that to be said, I pivoted from there. I started doing hospitality and food and beverage type deals with a group here in Austin. And uh, we, one of the theses that we had is we were buying kind of existing bed and breakfasts and adding additional facilities to them. And they were all B2C type businesses. So mm -hmm. hospitality, um, wedding venue, corporate events, all this kind of stuff is what we were running and selling and developing. 
And uh, when you do that, um, you know, by way of just a small firm, you start interacting with a lot of blue collar guys, the septic installer, designer, you know, the landscape designer and installer, even the roll off dumpster and porta potty guy. And yep. uh, so there was one afternoon in particular, I had been brought onto that team to kind of help us do some sourcing process and systems and scale. Um, and I started interacting with this porta potty and roll off dumpster guy. We needed to be able to, based on fire code and all this kind of stuff, have the right um, you know space to be able to have all the trucks come through. And I was interacting with him and kind of planning this all out. And I just got the gumption as we were you know previously looking at businesses to buy that were in food and beverage, hospitality type businesses. I said to him, "Hey, I know this is totally unrelated, but um, would you ever sell your business? Like, is this something that you'd consider doing?" I love just the story, and after hearing his story a little bit, I just loved hearing what he was doing. And um, he said, "It's so funny." Because in a few months, we're going to transition the business actually to my business partner who reminded me a ton of you um, as we've had these conversations over the last few months. Um, and uh, he's you know, a young guy, came out of his MBA program. We're taking it over. He's got these bright ideas and he's going to go kind of put the energy behind it. And yeah. it, just, it really opened up like this idea to me that we could go do this in, uh, you know, in this kind of space and add significant value. I love sitting back on a tractor and holding a bunch of things around, cutting down trees and all this kind of yeah. stuff outside. But I also like professionalizing businesses. And so when mixing those two, I think that, you know, I've got this unique gifting where I can take kind of the professionalization of business and distill it down to just about anybody in these types of businesses to understand. And I think that's really key. Um, that can cause me to be a uh, an operator a little longer than I maybe should be at times, um, but it uh, it definitely is a uh, you know I think a little secret sauce that I can, I'm capable of doing, and I'm I'm grateful for those those skill sets. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah, you don't you don't really think about those businesses like a porta potty business. Mm -hmm. You don't think about that as you can have a significant porta potty business that's making really good money. Yep. You just don't think about it. You go, oh man, you see them servicing porta potties or porta potties sitting everywhere. You don't realize a the explosion of the use of porta potties. Yep. Now that they're ingrained in every place now, the changes in OSHA make them almost. You gotta have them everywhere. Yep. And and they all need service. It's not like you, it's a choice. They need service. They get service yep. regular, just like a car or anything else. And they have to be serviced often. And these are yep. very good businesses and, and very good, especially if you can take them and what you're doing and professionalize them, bring different systems in and, and make it a little bit easier to run. That's right. I think that one of the unique things is there is a need in the market for a lot of these services, a lot of these widgets and these products for extended periods of time. People need this stuff. What what is lost in the process is there is usually someone that is, you know, an industry expert or capable person in that space. And they know how to build a business with a couple, you know, you know, people alongside them, kind of you know, helpers or whatever you want to call it. But they don't know how to build a business at scale. And so what we have done as we've distilled down our thesis and what we practically do now over the last couple of years is we buy these businesses that are three to 12 million type businesses in revenue. And it's specific because those are the space where they've kind of gotten to a point where they've proven out their market value. They usually have some reputational components to them that is highly you know, sought after in the, in the, in the community or wherever they're you know, facilitating with their customers. 
and we can take it now and, and bring scale to it because there usually is enough market to be able to go do that. And so all that to be said, um, I think the skill set taking a business from zero to seven figures or low seven figures is in a totally different skill set than what we do. And I have immense respect for those that are capable of starting from zero. Yeah. I certainly started the firm from zero, but I made a huge leapfrog kind of thing when we buy these businesses versus generating zero to a million in revenue is a lot harder, but it is a different skill set. So we usually take over the business in that process to help implement that kind of game plan. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And you you identified a key point there is that these these people are these founders are out there and they're building that business up to that one million, three million, five million, ten million, and and you can see them go, like you said, you guys are working in the three to twelve million dollar business. You can go a long ways as a founder before you run out of that. Well, what do I do next to go to the next level? Yeah. Um, and I honestly saw one in the in the oil fields uh, back in the in the 2010, 15 or 13, you know, over $50 million, but they were, they were booming so much that it was really, it was special to see, but also these kind of things, when you look at where's the next level for any of these size businesses, it, it, it really, that's where they stall out. There's always a natural stall out spot for them. There, there will be. And that's, you know, what we like to call is a, a business that's centered around the owner, a centralized business versus a yep. decentralized business has to take place at some point. Every business has gone through the process. Every business has created the systems that have that have long lasted, you know, decades and years to come. They've created those systems. And there are people that are capable of doing that and there are people aren't. And it's a different skill set and not, you know, one's not better than the other. It's just a matter of figuring out what you're good at. And um, I love coming up with ideas, but I love coming up with ideas when there's already revenue in the door. <laughs> um, and so that's just what I had to figure out. Creating revenue yeah. from nothing is incredibly hard. I've done it in many other circumstances and it's hard. Um, and so I have a ton of respect for those folks. Um, it, it's just what we wanted to focus on is implementation of a game plan, professionalizing these businesses that have a long legacy within their community or within the state or, or vice versa around the world. Well, and you can really focus on those specific needs of that business in that size that already has cash flow that already has customers that that needs a different as you said that different kind of work that's going to take it to the next level whereas you're trying to figure out how to get customers and cash flow and all that other thing so you're really able to to uh put the things in to allow them to scale faster which is super cool yeah yeah absolutely so as you guys are are doing this and um you you're what what has really been exciting for you getting into this now you've been doing this a few years and and really what's what's exciting for you in this yeah um we have gotten better and better at the playbook let's let's be candid i think that um at the beginning it was like like i said we were kind of in the process of crawling and trying to figure it out yeah um i've had you know in the process i've had moments where we've implemented something, it didn't go well, and I got that feedback. I mean, I, I think that's the exciting part for me is like it call it an R&D kind of permanent test at all times. Mm -hmm. um, what goes well, wasn't go well. And I, I use R&D specifically because our thesis is, is that these businesses are built around the owner and we need to change that. And so one of the things that we have is we have a family meeting. I usually go to Texas Roadhouse or something like that and we get some steaks and we sit down. We've got a lot of guys that get pretty messy and we get their hands washed and we sit down and have a nice steak lunch and we have a conversation about what the org chart is going to look like moving forward 
and I'm not on the org chart. Um, and that's usually a shock because they've built kind of the, all the muscles where the owner's involved, the owner answer mm -hmm. all the questions, the owner's all around, um, you know, answering everything and solving everything, or they control everything. Um, and so as a result, the business is only scaled to that owner's capacity and vision. Um, I do believe, you know, president, CEO, whatever title you use, they must have a vision of where they're going. And you need to continue to communicate that vision through quarterly conversations with your employees and your teammates um, to be able to do that. So recently we closed um, a, a quarterly meeting back in October. In that time, I expressed, here was the org chart a year ago. Here's the org chart now. This is what it's going to look like. We would like to implement the following things. You guys can now select by the end of this year and going into, we do a lot of um, uh, you know promotions and uh, increases and all that kind of stuff first quarter of the next year. So as we go into that season, you need to be communicating ahead of time. Here's the pathway I'd like to see happen for me. And we had some guys starting to shift around. Guys that were previously in different roles have taken on more senior roles, guys that were you know, prepared to kind of move into more of a management role, less individual contribution kind of role. This is where they're going now. And so they were able to make that decision because I presented an, an org chart that looked very different than it did previously a year ago. And it's a setting a vision of where that's going to go. Now it's part of the, you know, be a part of this pathway. And candidly, maybe there's other people doing it. The business owners that we have taken business owners, uh, the ownership from, or those that I've gone through a ton of due diligence or interacted with, they're not doing this. Um, mm -hmm. They're not. They are giving, you know, arbitrary titles. And nobody really knows what they mean, particularly they don't know what the KPIs are related to those titles um, yeah. at that space. And so we start creating that process for them to see a vision, to be a part of it, and also set a vision of, hey, this is where we're going. And I don't think it can be built around just me. It has to be built around autonomy and accountability within those roles. And that's where the KPIs come into play. Yeah, the KPIs are so critical in this. You 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 mentioned a couple things here and, and it's... And it's one of the things that that we see in a lot of these businesses in this size that we're dealing with. It's like you haven't taken the time because founders, honestly, they're they're good at what they did. You know, they're the they're the CNC person. They're the HVAC person, the electrician, the, the plumber that that decided I can go out and do it better because I and I can make more money and have more freedom. Right. Yep. And what they don't understand is they don't understand like you're talking about now is that at a certain point you need to define the roles and responsibilities or the roles that are needed in the business. Yeah. And then people have to get into those seats. And we always talk about, you got to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. Right. And, yeah. and then even those steps are hard enough to go through. And then the final step that you talked about, that is truly one of the, the cornerstones, I believe of scalability is, having KPIs so that you, me, whoever it is on that team understands how am I doing compared yeah. to what I, for my part, that's going to, you know, scale this business over the long term. Yeah. And uh, it's awesome that you're able to do that. So as, as you're doing this now, this is the question. I mean, do, does the, for most people, does the light bulb come on and go, okay, I kind of understand what we're doing. And then it becomes more normal to them or, or how much, you know, how much resistance do you get to this? Um, it goes in waves. We have the first wave of folks that um, say, you know, I've been doing it with Bob Sally for so long. I don't want to continue on. I'm ready to yep. transition out my hope. And I always tell us to owners, my hope is that number is super minimal. 
Yeah. But I, but it's a reality and it's, yeah. it's a delayed. It's a delayed circumstance that was inevitable to happen. And so yeah. when you have when you have that, you can't take it personally. I had a buddy just close on a another. He does landscaping here in, in the central Texas area. He closed on a business two weeks ago and he had three guys quit on that first day of introduction. So mm -hmm. that, I, I haven't had that before, but I've had, you know, soon after. And so yeah. uh, it happens. And so um, you, you can't take that personally. Um, you've got to understand that you're building a business with a vision in mind. And so you can't take that personally. But one of the things that's critical. So we have two prong approach. We try to drive sales really, really fast through systems and automation. And we can touch on that on another time. Um, but what we also do, and this is, again, going from you know, walking or crawling to walking and hopefully running here soon um, is that there's a there's an unbalanced um, leverage that's happening with employees and the owner. So here's what I mean by that. The owner is involved. Everything goes through their head. The reason they control it is because they create a system that is dependent on them so that they can maintain the leveraged control in that circumstance. But if you were to really pull back the, the onion and kind of open up the veil and see what's really happening, the employees are actually the ones that have the control in that circumstance. And so what ends up happening is the owner becomes dependent on them and they don't even realize it. And so sub subconsciously they're trying to control everything or maybe they do realize it and they are constantly trying to control everything. And so once I tell the employees, here's your autonomy, here's what's going on, we employ three to four VAs that start documenting every single thing that they do. Really kind of in a tough situation. And I think that's the overwhelming point where all of a sudden everything that wasn't cloud-based has to become cloud-based because we're not local with the VAs. And so everything kind of gets brought to the surface. Um, you had folders that are no longer utilized and they're sitting in a document set up somewhere and, and it's confusing to you know the third party that's coming in to understand what's going on. We've got you know no, you know, this is something that is recent. We had literally no technical information on certain things that we manufacture. A customer asked for it, wanted to get clarity on something, come to find out we don't even have it. And so that had to be generated and we had to get tools to measure certain things and all that kind of stuff. And so anyways, what ends up happening is that leverage point changes mm -hmm. where an employee starts saying, oh my gosh, I'm replaceable. And that, that can cause two things to happen. It causes one person to say, I'm ready to step out. I don't want to be in this circumstance. Or it causes the other person to see buy-in and say, okay, Malcolm has a bigger vision. And it's important in the role that I'm in and also those that we bring in to help in the operations process um, to be able to identify what's going on in the room in that dynamic. Because yeah. that's the critical point of stabilization after post-transaction is being able to understand Who's the person that's really bought into the vision or really they're just bought into like their personal vision and hopefully this stays alongside with that? Or is it, hey, this person recognizes like there's a bigger, broader vision for them personally within the org that we're creating. So when I tell my office manager who used to be a different title and I change her title and be like, this is more defined of what you're doing. And I say in two years time or in one year's time, I expect you to have the following people reporting to you your title will change. So I'm building your skill set to get there because that's what the company needs in two years time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, you're showing these people a, a, a route or a path for them into the future. And that's something that a lot of founders don't take the time to a think about and B communicate. And, and it, and, and quite honestly, in those situations, 
sometimes the people that you are having your business are not the people you want because you, A, the founder probably naturally wants them to go that way. Yeah. But we are oftentimes stuck with people, not stuck, excuse me, bad word. Uh, we're let, we have people in our organization that are perfectly happy being exactly where they're at and not growing with the business. Yep. So we had three instances this year that I'll speak to. Um, that yeah, awesome. Helpful. So um, one of the things we implemented um, in a company that we re recently purchased is uniforms. And I know that sounds crazy to people, but there was no buy-in and we had a bunch of safety issues that were going on because of it. Guys showing up with shirts that hold holes in them and they're cutting metal yep. and doing a whole bunch of welding and all sorts of stuff. Huge liability risk if anybody walks through the door. Um, yep. They weren't wearing you know, protective eyewear, all that kind of stuff. So we started with protective eyewear and issued shirts that they could wear Monday through Friday, or sorry, Monday through Thursday. And Fridays were free Fridays where they could wear whatever they want. Um, and so that al allowed some buy-in. But what it also did is it created some hierarchy within the shirts of what color they were and what roles they were and the responsibility related to that. Um, and they and I didn't mention that it started organically coming out in conversation like, hey, why did so and so? And I said, hey, well, did you see him on the org chart? His name is different. That's why it fit that. And so allowed them to kind of organically understand like there was dynamics that were being created here that were intentional to see who wanted to compete, who wanted to grow, who wanted to create onto that uh, those pathways. So I could start self uh, I could start the process of people self identifying what they wanted from this. Yeah, because if we're building a long term business and we're documenting things that are going on, you know, what they control from an SOP perspective, I need to create that urgency of where are these people going? What are they doing? Otherwise, I don't really know who's bought in. And that again, these are my frameworks. We're in the walking phase. There's probably somebody listening that may disagree with my approach, but that's what we have found in the space. And then simultaneously. The business needed certain things. And so I needed somebody to transition out from an individual contributor to a more of a management role because they had the ability to do that, but mm -hmm. they weren't able to do the management side and come to find out, you know, after five, six, seven conversations, hey, I need you to do the following thing. I need you to be able to do this in order for you to move up here. He chose to self-select out where we sat down and before I could even have a conversation, he said, hey, I've, I've kind of noticed the writing on the wall. I think I need to leave. I think I've spent my most time here. And it was disappointing because I saw his potential, but he couldn't get past some professional weaknesses that he had. Um, and that and then the third point, I, you know, I can be the energizer bunny. I like pushing things along. I have a lot of passion pushing things through and seeing them to completion. And so people will want to drag me into the, the thing. So we had a recent situation, one of our manufacturing companies. Um, we're trying to cost save. And so we might offshore to Mexico, some of the things that we do um, mm -hmm. and that the a little more custom and, and things that a, a customer might want in certain circumstances, but not all the time. So it doesn't make sense for us to staff up for that particular skill set. And so we've looked at Monterey, Mexico to bring something over. And basically the team was like, all right, so you're going to go fly there and talk to these vendors. And I said, no, the following people will be going and doing that. I will not be going. Um, and that was a bit of a like, wait, what? <laughs> um, and so yeah. they were so used to the owner just being involved. When the owner has passion about something, they see that the owner should just see it through. And I'm like, no, this is a this is this person's responsibility up until this point. I've helped get it to this point. Now it's ready for him to take it. And so that's where I see my kind of day to day um, as we kind of build these businesses is more like special project related kind of stuff. Well, and, and you made a, a really good, a couple, couple good points. I wrote some things down in here too. And, and, uh, what, 
you guys are in, in what you're putting in, when you talk about the documentation of processes and making SOPs and things like this, you're really allowing the business to be scalable because the next people up that have to do that, the only way for the people there to, to move up in the company and do more is to be able to backfill behind them so those people can can begin to take on more of the role that maybe the owner was doing. Like you said, in that instance, the owner was going to go to Mexico, but now you, you might have a whole... A person that's their job. They are the whatever outsource person, and they're going to go do that. But they've never had to do it before, so you're getting them ready to go and do that and backfilling behind them. But from that person that's out there doing that now, <clears throat> yes, there's a little bit of, of apprehension maybe, but also you're giving them this other level that wasn't available to them before, which I think is really exciting for those yeah. those people that are there after you come in. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I genuinely, and there's always variance on a bell curve of this situation. I genuinely believe high you know, capacity people are wanting to find opportunities to learn. They want opportunities mm -hmm. to develop. And so you got to create that. Um, and it may be uncomfortable to create that, but you've got to find a way to create that. And most owners at this size don't do that. And people tend to leave or they stick around and they're just kind of doing it because the lifestyle works for their families. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, eventually you have to create that if you're trying to, you know, have the ambitions that we have with these companies. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you're buying these businesses, what, I mean, do you guys have specific goals? Are you, are you trying to move them how much or anything like that? What are you guys yeah. trying to do with these businesses? Yeah. We, we like to double revenue in two years, double revenue in two years. Yeah. Uh, nice. So so obviously that informs our decision-making skills. I believe, you know, with all the college football and stuff going on and everything going on, I use football analogies often. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you've got an end zone or a goalpost that you're going for, you make different decisions based on what yard line you're in. So, yeah. you know, based on where we start structurally with the business and the transaction side, um, structurally with the key employees and who are there and reputationally what we're able to do. And then the type of business all plays into that um, depends on what kind of plays you can make. Um, but we, our goal is to double revenue. And so that means we focus on certain things. Um, yeah. and I can't tell you the countless conversations with businesses we bought, I've engaged with, or we've gone to due diligence with, or whatever the case may be. And I asked them a simple question. I always say, if you had a crystal ball and you had five, 10 more years to run this business, what would you focus on? And I think nine times out of 10, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but not much. Um, they say sales and yeah because they know it's a, it's a heart of the business. And I think they're either too caught up in other things and they can't focus on it, or they don't have a pathway of what sales would look like for this business without a ton of energy and resources needing to be put into it. Whether that be new products, diversifying products, or stabilizing revenue. One of the businesses we own right now, we, we just needed to stabilize the revenue. And so we've had to work through challenges with that and figure out creative ways to do that. And there's people in our industry that we're doing it um, by implementing some software management to the machines that they develop. Um, and we're, we're about to roll that out for 2024. So I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, there was, there's a need and there's a reason um, we focus on sales and SOPs is, is basically those two things are crucial, crucial, crucial for us to be able to get past this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you're trying to, you're trying to grow value. And this is one of the things that we, we, when we're, we're coaching and working with our, our owner founder clients, um, building the value of their business. We are like, listen, you, you need to do, get your business set up. So the next person can see themselves growing the value. Yep. You can't, 
you can't do something and then ride out that growth curve to the end and then expect to, to, to have an excited buyer come in to have to start that process all over yeah. again. I mean, we, we specifically, as we're doing it, we say we're going to implement a growth, uh, some sort of growth initiative. And when we get about 50% of the way through it, maybe even earlier, that's the time that we start engaging potential buyers because they can come in and they can continue that and develop their next next phase of growth um, while they're doing it. And we also try to have that because it's just it's it's counterintuitive. And I can't tell you how many times over the years that my partner and, and I have talked to business owners and it says, oh, how's it going? It's going great. And you go, well, you sure that you don't want to get out? No, it's going too well. I don't yeah. want to. And that same person will call back when when you know the housing crisis hits or or you just pick any anything and yep. COVID hits, whatever. It's like, oh, I yep. want to sell now. I'm, I'm losing money. It's like, well, what do you think you're going to get yeah. for that? Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. They were asking about kind of multiples we expect to pay for the businesses in our industry. We, we buy exclusively blue collar industrial type businesses in Texas that are B2B focused. Yep. And so all that to be said, um, you know, we, we often see kind of two and a half to four and a half kind of in the range that we're in on, on an yeah. earnings multiple. Obviously we use other indicators and multiple yeah, yeah. uh, to get the deal done. Um, but that it, on average, that's kind of what we see. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you can imagine if someone's doing 15% net margin, which is really kind of what we like, um, like to see historically in the business allows us to have enough cash flow to work with and, and kind of our growth and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if, if they're doing 10 million bucks and they're walking away with a million and a half every single year before taxes, you know, essentially if they're getting paid four X on that, they can walk away with 6 million bucks. And then an owner often says, well, why don't I just do this for four more years? And I often say, that's fine. We can play a longer game than you can. I hope life doesn't happen because life yeah. tends to happen when unexpected things, you know, what have you. And so you want to call me in four years. That's totally fine. You'll still end up with a six X multiple if the business is consistent till that point. Yeah. And, you know, historically businesses don't stay perfectly flat. Things happen, things occur and unexpected things happen like they did a few years ago. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen businesses that have called back later and said, you know, you never believe it, Malcolm, we've done X amount more and we're doing great and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's yeah. awesome. Let's, if you're ready to sell now, that's great. We'll set up some kind of earnout structure. You can yeah. participate in part of that. Um, but nine times out of 10, um, we get a phone call where people say things have not gone as well. That one key, you know, customer we had actually pulled out. Um, and you know, I, I, now I have to sell or now I can't balance, you know, everything going on. And so, um, you know, we hope that doesn't happen for the owners that we engage with, um, because we never want to be in a situation where we're buying things kind of as a, a last resort for them. Um, we'd rather be a part of a business that, you know, is in a good stable place so we can just mm -hmm. kind of focus on driving that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I think that, that owners need to realize. And and this is another coaching point for us and anybody we're working with is, is really start to adopt the buyer's perspective as you get to the end. And, and in football analogies, we use red zone thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we talk with our owners that are in the last, and our, our clients are usually in the forties and fifties. I mean, we're trying to build value. They've got other things they want to do. They're not necessarily going to take it all the way, but they want to get it. So it's a nice business for the next buyer. Right. And and that red zone thinking affects things so much about everything from like you were saying earlier, we double revenues so our 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 decisions are different. And mm -hmm. the same thing that 
you know, you have these people that in these kind of businesses, especially these, these um, blue collar businesses, you know, you'll see one just take plumbing, HVAC, it's across the board construction. You'll see one company that has brand new equipment mm -hmm. every single year. They've got new trucks. They've got new uh, yellow iron, whatever it is. Yeah. And what we coach is we say, listen, you know, if you sell that business, all the debt you've got in your iron and your trucks and everything else gets paid off. You sell it's all nets out. You got to yeah. consider this. So if you have good equipment, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be this year's model. It just because you like the way it looks, yeah. you're going to spend a lot of money, especially in your, if you're in that red zone and we're preparing your business to sale, you're going to spend a lot of extra money. And on your way coming in, it's a great deal for you because you you're getting that and so there's so many things that if if owners prepare just a little bit and not to the point to where you guys are but just to make some of these different decisions and my point is how many times are you seeing that being a just a thing that stops the deal flat so you're going to go in this business it looks really good and then you look at a balance sheet item and they've got they've got all this debt and they just they figure this out and they go it, yeah. it, we just don't make enough yeah no it definitely is the case um it happens often we um you know i think the one thing so the name sitzera growth partners comes from my great grandfather he owns about seventy thousand acres 50 or seventy thousand acres or so uh at the base of mount sitzera in southern africa he was a entrepreneurial guy a story for another day um but he, he owned this big farm that did um, uh, cattle and dairy producing and all sorts of stuff, employed hundreds of people, you know, family lived on the farm, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It was a big family business. And so um, the point of that is, is that they were thinking, you know, how do we grow this to, to basically employ lots of people in the area, provide a great resource, all that kind of stuff. And the reason that I bring that up is I try to embody what my great grandfather did, where he tried to just take care of people authentically. And so when we go into due diligence or we're engaging with an owner, I try to do the same thing. Um, I obviously am trying to get, you know, first look at things and I'm trying to engage with them on an early basis and have conversations that are authentic. Um, but a lot of the time they don't have a board of directors, quote unquote, or people around them to be able to make informed decisions. And so what I present to them and say, here is four people in your local area that I have vetted. I have no financial interest. I get no kickback, sincerely. It's just people that I think are high quality. You should make the four phone calls. Maybe you go with a fifth person, I don't even know, but you should make the four phone calls about the implications. Because when I hear about all this stuff going on with, oh, we just bought the latest stuff, I think about all the tax implications that are gonna happen with that. Um, and a lot of the time, the owner is not informed about all of that stuff taking place. And so what ends up happening for us, and this is the selfish side of it, is we get under due diligence, this stuff starts coming up, these conversations start happening, and then the deal has a potential to be, you know, it goes dead or it falls apart. And yeah. I don't want that. I want to be able to say, here's an honest offer. Here's an honest structure we're trying to create with you you know, let's get it done and let's not engage in too many conversations about, you know, why this shouldn't work or issues that mm -hmm. we didn't see or that, you know, whatever, because there's going to be enough of those authentically that just yeah. happen because we're learning through this process together. But at the same while, um, we try to bring in people around them that they may not have um, kind of in their board of directors. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and the other thing that I've seen happen in that situation is someone like yourself coming in, making reasonable offers and, and then, the the sellers the owners that are these founders um they really don't have that 
they don't have a trusted advisor. So they're talking to, to their friend, Steve, who Steve heard from somebody else, somewhere else, or read a Wall Street Journal article that Steve has no idea that a public company is valued at about double what a private company is. And he comes back to John, who's the founder and says, you know, you're, you're just getting hosed. You're getting half the money you're supposed to, you know? So these, the, 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 it's, it's a shame. These business owners are, are, there's not more information for them to make really good informed decisions. And, uh, yeah. but I'm glad you're doing it. Cause it's, it's, it's so sorely needed, yeah. uh, for them because that's their biggest fear, yeah. right? This is, they've, they've spent their life creating this thing. They want to maximize their, their way out. And a, there is a real blend between what you're looking for as someone coming into the business and them coming out in those honest conversations. It's like someone told me the uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to this, this lady that does lots of M&A stuff and lawyer and all that stuff. She says that every M&A transaction is no one's really, I think she said, no one's really happy, but they're both satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I learned, uh, yeah, yeah, I learned in my MBA program years ago um, in, in a negotiations class, there's this concept of a Nash equilibrium, essentially two people starting from two different points. And they basically have to work through conversation to find kind of that point that makes sense for everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you walk away and you're like, I feel like I left something on the table. Sometimes you walk away and you're like, I feel like I don't know all the answers of the things I needed to know. And you find those out after the fact. And um, there's obviously, you know, those that have not been through a transaction, there, there are ways to solve for that after the fact through reps and warranties and other structures. Yeah. Um, but you know, our, our goal is like, we want to be, you know, taking care of this business. It's thriving. And in five years time, you're walking through the door excited and you're greeted with a warm welcome. I really mean it sincerely. Yeah. That building a business and what we're building from and what you were able to get it to is way harder than what I think we're doing. And so as a result, I want you to be honored in that way, not bashed. And so um, yeah. that's super important in the culture that we're creating. That is so cool, man, because it is, it really is. When you see a good transaction done and, and, and the next uh, owners take it over, it's so rewarding if they just see it continue on yeah. and continue to build that legacy. But uh, JP has a good comment here. <laughs> the uh, this the seller's tax liability that's something that is really really important because um, yeah it's 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 substantial yeah. and especially even in, in, in when you get not even but when you get into the larger size of business that you guys are working with say someone's going to buy a business for 10 12 million dollars uh, transaction costs I mean the right work five plus years ahead can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. And that's some, I mean, that's just a whole nother topic, JP. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, but it is, it is significant and it's something that, you know, education again will help these people make them these, yeah. these current owners make more informed decisions as they're in that red zone, right? That red zone, that five years ahead of the sale, what am I doing to make sure that I'm, I'm really going to come out of this with the best results. So Malcolm, Going into 2024, though, you guys have been in this now five years. You're going in this. You're you're walking now, as you said. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the things that that you really are getting excited about for 2024? Yeah. So one of the um, 
scale is always a thing that we do within portfolio companies, but don't do well in the firm often, right? Because you're, yep. you end up you end up getting busy with other things. And so one of the ways um, that we're looking to do that is original thesis was I would come in as CEO operator president for the first six months um, and then transition out. Um, candidly, that was a bet on me, a bet on my kind of what I consider kind of EQ and ability to interact with a lot of folks um, in different ways and distill down information to kind of get them all on the same page. Um, I have found that there are other people that are very capable of doing that as well. Um, you have to vet them well. Um, you have to make sure that they have, you know, not just the hard skills, but kind of the EQ side of it and being able to interact with folks that have been used to a different system for a long time. Um, you know, I was telling somebody, my kiddo had a, um, a little holiday party at school today, and I was explaining a little bit what, what we do and how we focus on. And he immediately had the idea of like office space, the consultants come in and they're going to change everything. Yeah. Else. We, we don't want to create that culture. That culture can be toxic. It is very classic private equity um, yeah. in some ways. And so um, we don't want to create that. We want to create long-term stability. Our intention is to yeah. not ever sell these businesses um, unless some weird unicorn situation happens. Um, we have no intention of sell. That's not what we think about when we go in. We think about how do we create great cash flowing um, businesses over a long period of time. Um, and that means the business will have to pivot and change. And so the way that we're uh, evolving for that, and it's not recreating the wheel, there's other firms doing this across the country, um, but we're going to roll out a program where we have somebody in-house for nine months um, to six to nine months, basically getting trained in the way that we think about business, um, you knowing that they've come in with some of that acumen already um, mm -hmm. to be a part of that operating team immediately when we close in the transaction or, and during the diligence process. And so we've been gearing up for that, trying to get that training right. Um, and we've got now a bench of people that are interested. And so we're we're buying exclusively in Texas businesses. We we look in first markets, you know, imagine the big metros of, of Texas. And then we also look in secondary and third uh, third markets um, for businesses that, again, have been around longer than 10 years. And we want to bring in people um, that want to be a part of that because it is not scalable for me to be the owner and operator of all these businesses all the time. And I disappoint more than anything else a lot of employees when I'm not there or not yeah. able to, you know, be involved in all that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're changing the model. And again, it's just part of our, I think, you know, walking phase to running phase that needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And you're, you're applying the things that you're doing in your portfolio companies, as far as putting in systems to train your operators so they can go out and implement and, and develop and implement the strategies that you're currently doing at a smaller scale now, but you're allowing it so you can put more people to go on a larger scale and go out. Yeah. So um, let's, so looking at that, that's very exciting. I mean, because you're talking about, you can double, triple, quadruple your, your, the amount of portfolio companies. Yeah. You know, in, in theory, it was like uh, we could do one to two businesses a year. If we do it, the model where Malcolm was. And my hope is once we kind of fine tune this a little bit, we're doing, you know, basically double that. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. We're not in any rush and, and maybe the sizes of the business that we incorporate are slightly different. Uh, maybe they look yeah. slightly different. Well, there will be some iterations that has to take place in order to accustom, you know, make all yeah. that. But um, yeah. my hope is that that's the way we scale where we bring you know bright men and women that want to be in businesses for a long period of time and just be there to develop. Um, I think we've perfected some sort of game plan. You know, there's there's always this debate in kind of the hold co space of sorts. You know, do you build a centralized business or a decentralized business? Do you let the portfolio companies kind of just run independently and you get some reporting? Oh yeah. Um, I, I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe I have a bit of a control angle that I'm not ready to give up, but yeah. we have a, we have a system. We implement low code, no code software that allows us to scale quickly. We've got a hundred day game plan that we give out 
um, to the general public, um, just showing exactly what we do. Um, and that's been refined over time. And um, we, we hope that, you know, we'll get more and more people that want to be a part of what we're calling our generalist vice president program. It's, you know, no unique name other than this is a person that wants to be a part of what we're doing and is looking to be a part of, you know, operating these businesses long term. Yeah. So, you know, if you got listeners out there, if we if I got listeners out there and you're thinking about this, get uh, get on such Sarah website and take a look and see what they got going on and reach out to Malcolm here on on LinkedIn and and do and and connect with them because it this is these are exciting opportunities for people to be able to come in and, and do that. Um, yeah, I lost my last train of thought there. I had a, I had woo, the question of the century that was going to come out, but I lost it completely. Because it's just cool. It's cool what you guys are doing. Um, oh, I do. I did. I come back to the thing before. I mean, we're getting close to time here. We usually try to try to go 40, 45 minutes. But I got a couple questions because we, we might have some business owners listening here today. And I really want to ask you, when you're coming in and seeing, talking to these business owners, what are some of the things that really don't allow you to that just stop you that you go okay we if they would fix this this thing or if this wasn't like that this is different or they're you know ex, I just don't want to put words in your mouth but what are like the top one or two or three things that you you really find that don't allow you to get as far you know down to the end like you'd like to yeah so we got started or really I got started um, where I realized there was a pervasive issue of business owners that wanted a son, niece, nephew, daughter to take over their business. It just wasn't there. People are often um, I think there was a phase of business and maybe it's hopefully changing or maybe it's still happening. And I'm just trying to personally change it with my own family. There was a time where business was like the thing that took dad or mom away, right? Like it, yeah. it constantly was con you know, tension within the house. Yep. People said, I don't want anything to be a part of this because it always was a negative thing. Dad always had to work a whole bunch. That is truly the sacrifice that happens a lot of the time getting started. Um, you, you have limited budget, yeah. limited people you can get. Yep. Like that, that truly is. And so, um, you know, I often find that I am sitting in a room with an owner, sometimes at tears because I'm solving that need for them. Yeah. And then I have to have the conversation of now you will transition out and that's going to be incredibly emotionally hard for you to do because you have had that sacrifice. You know what took place yeah. within your family or the sacrifice you had to make personally in your life to be able to make this happen. And now I'm going to just I'm not going to disregard that, but we have a different we have a next phase of the business. And I want to honor you that by what you get paid through and also your freedom to show up and, you know, say hi, you know, all those types of things. Yeah. But, you know, it, there is that transition. And so we have to have conversations of like, what is the business dependency look like on you and what can it actually do, you know, irrespective of you? That that process is a tough conversation. And we try to have mm -hmm. those early on. And it yeah. does bring a little bit of, you know, hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I hear an owner say, here's all the things that I solve to keep this engine running. I often have to think, okay, is there somebody else on the team that should be solving it? Is Do we have to hire for that immediately? What's the downside risk in this transition? Mm -hmm. Because there's enough statistics that show that either families take over the business from each other and the business doesn't transition well, or other private equity firms flip the companies really fast because they leverage to a teeth and they had to do that just to make yeah. the transaction work. And so yeah. um, we tell business owner like, hey, look, we may not be the highest price, 
but I, I assure you, we are going to honor what you've done here. Um, and that's our intention. And so we, we fit for a seller too, right? We're a buyer that has to fit for the seller, um, mm -hmm. where they want to, you know, keep their employees intact and they yeah. want to be in a situation where, um, you know, the business can maintain and continue thriving moving forward with a different kind of MO, but overarchingly protecting the brand and everything that's around it. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great, uh, great explanation there. And, and one of the things that you guys are doing that I really enjoy too, is you, you're buying for the long hold and, and that, that is really cool. And it, it takes, it takes a different kind of work like you guys are doing and your operational focus and doubling that revenue and really getting it to where you want to be and doing those things. But, um, it's cool what you guys are doing. So I, I uh, would say just for the audience sake, that was intentional. Those making those decisions were intentional for us or what decisions we make going forward. And, you know, is that what I'm, when I made that analogy earlier about, you know, football field and things like that, like that's something that I preach way too much. Probably my team probably gets sick of it. There's a few things there. Um, but yeah, you make different decisions based on the outcome or the area oh, yeah. you're shooting for. And so when 100%. we say we're going to buy this and hold this for a long period of time, you make different decisions. You don't certain risks. You don't take certain risks. Yeah, all that stuff. And so, yeah, it's intentional. Yeah, that's that's super cool. And it, and I tell you, business owners that are concerned about their legacy really need to think about that in the next owners of their business. Yep. I mean, that is a huge thing. And and if that's if that's a big deal to you, then it's it's definitely a consideration. But yeah. Man, I tell you what, Malcolm, it's been awesome talking to you. And we'll have to have you back too, because one, there's there are so many things I've got so many notes about that we could talk about later. Because you 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 know you guys are actively scaling these businesses, you're doing those kind of things. I think it'd be incredible for us to do that later. But thank you so much today, uh, stopping by and talking about buying and building these blue collar businesses and what you guys are doing there in Texas, and just sharing sharing your your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. If anybody ever wants to reach out, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and what have you. But you can find out more information on sitsera.com, spelled T-S-E-T-S-E-R-R-A. And happy to chat with anybody about either, you know, selling their business or looking to be a part of our generous president program, be a part of operating um, side of things as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for being here today. Thanks everyone for being here. We had JP. I had someone that, that made a nice comment at the beginning. Um, and we, we don't see it through the, through the profile here. And then Curtis, Curtis Tompkins is on here today. A friend of mine. Thanks. So thanks so much for being here today. And all you listeners here, if you did not, if you're a business owner that's thinking about selling your business, if you're someone that's that's interested in being an operator for in businesses, go back and listen to what Malcolm was saying here. Maybe said Sarah Partners is is for you. Maybe you need to be in Texas if you're not already running some of their cool blue collar businesses and scaling them like they are. But we appreciate you. I want to make sure that 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 you are getting the information you need. So reach out to Malcolm or stop by and we'll get you some more information. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Malcolm, for being here today. Thanks again.